Gosh, I love um, being a part of a church community. It's so fun because we're all so different and so fun to get to enjoy each other's gifts and talents. And I'm just always blown away by the poets and musicians. I need more like, you know, rock throwers to hang out with me, but I'm thankful for the, the poets and musicians. Um, you know, it's so fun. And I don't know about you, if, if, if you're married or dating someone for a long time, but I feel like God always has this like weird little joke where he match, matches us up with someone who's the exact inverse. I know some of you guys that are matched up with like the perfect people. Um, I matched up to a perfect person too, but who happens to be my perfect inverse. And if you've ever met my wife, Katie, right, she's so kind and so empathetic and um, and I'm kind and empathetic, but just in a different sort of way. And, um, and we always like, we, we love watching sports movies together. Um, but I found as we watch movies, we, we interpret the things we're watching differently. But sports movies are the one movies that we like. Um, are there any, do you guys like watch sports movies? All right, what are some of the sports movies that you guys like watching? Remember the Titans? Miracle, Rudy. Jerry Maguire. Is that a sports movie? All right. I feel like it's a rom-com if I was going to categorize that. But yeah. Brian's song from the 70s. Wow, Brian's song. That's like up there with Deer Hunter or something, one of those old movies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, um, Rudy is, uh, is one of the movies that, uh, that we watch and we always get into a fight about. Isn't that crazy? You think this is a great movie. It's a heartwarming movie. Um, I mean, it's this incredible story of perseverance. And in fact, I told Kay, I said, hey, we're gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about Rudy tomorrow because we just see it so differently. And we end up getting in a fight about me kidding around us about fighting about this movie because she's so empathetic and so hard forward. And if you've seen this movie, right, there's this young, small guy who just wants nothing other than to be on this team. He works his whole life so that he can one day have one charity play at the very end of his whole career, you know? And my wife's like, but they carry him off at the end. And I'm like, he's a waste. Like, it's a waste. And uh, you can send me emails about your interpretation of Rudy later, but I was trying to figure out, like, why does it bother me so much? Because, yes, it is a fine movie, but I think what it bothers me is this poor guy, he's 5'8", he's never going to play college football, he's never going to play in the NFL, and here he structured his entire life, not because he wanted an education from Notre Dame, not because he wanted to help Notre Dame be better, but because he once wanted to be on the field, and then he got on the field, and that was the end of it. And I think what, what it poked in me after my wife and I recovered from our fight a little bit, because she's just like horrified at that interpretation. But as a pastor and as someone who loves people, someone who loves walking with people, helping people discern, oh my goodness, this is the unique way that God has crafted you. I just get heartbroken watching people run headlong in the wrong direction. And they're like, I keep bumping into things. My coach keeps telling me I'm not big enough. I'm like, whatever, like, right? We just keep bumping into things, bumping into things. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you're not good at that, you know, or, or whatever. And I think at the end of the day, I think God's heart is that we would actually realize each and every one of us are uniquely gifted. We're uniquely called. We have incredible gifts, incredible talents, but just the thing that you wanted when you were seven may not be the thing that God has for you now, right? And I think the reason Rudy just chafes on me so hard is because I don't want us to play for this one charity play at the end with the sob story and the music playing in the background. I want us to be whatever God calls to be and be the number one person because God needs you to be the most fullest, um, whole um, empowered person that God dreamt from you to be from the very beginning of time. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. We're wrapping up our series on the call, which is this life of discipleship. And we're finally at this last part, which is that each of us we've been talking about are called by Jesus to be his disciples. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. But this last section is about, oh my goodness, you have been uniquely called 
uniquely because you have been uniquely made, crafted, gifted, empowered, put in a very specific time and place. And we want to spend these next three weeks helping us grow our imagination of what it means to know God, what it means to serve God, what it means to be God's woman and God's man in the exact spot that he's placed you. So we're going to talk about this morning about being fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, if you know, this is right out of Psalm 139. So if you have a Bible in front of you, why don't you pull it out? We're going to read Psalm 139 together. And in fact, what I would love is if you can find Psalm 139, do we have a page that that's on? It's right in the middle of the Bible. That's the best I can do. It's 621. Okay, once you find it, then I want you actually to, to close your eyes. I'm going to read through this psalm. This psalm, is, it's a poetic prayer. It, it, it's a prayer of King David. And it's one of the most poetic and beautiful and intimate prayers um, that David has ever written. It is powerful. And uh, there's a couple, um, you know, tone changes that happen, which you'll, you'll notice. Um, but I would love for this to be our prayer this morning. And then we'll jump back and look at the text together. So let's, let's have this be our prayer this morning. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before and behind. You lay out your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful and I know them well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All of the days were ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Would I count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I'm awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak with uh, evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Don't worry, we're almost done. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me on the way everlasting. Gosh, amen and amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I mean, can you imagine the picture that David must have having in this encounter with God to be so blown away at this intimate, precious moment with God. And that part near the end is so violent. I'm like, what is going on there? But I think about it. Remember, I had to think way back when my kids were little and precious, but it's like, here's my daughter and she's sitting on my lap and she's so precious. And then she goes to first grade and gets bullied. And all of a sudden I'm like, that six-year-old girl's going to die. You know, like, like, like there's like, right. When the thing that's so precious gets violated, right. It causes something else. Like, like you would hate if 
I didn't care if my daughter got bullied, right? Like being offended at those who offend God, it makes sense because he's so intimate in this love and affection and this prayer towards God. I love verse 14, it says this, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, that word fearfully, we've seen that all over the Old Testament, right? It says the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. That's a Hebrew word, yare, and it means, right, fearful. That makes sense. But it also means to stand in awe, to honor, to revere, right? Earlier in the Psalm, Psalm 64, verse 9, right? It says, all people will fear, all people will yare. They will proclaim the works of God. They will ponder what he has done, right? We understand this posture towards God where we stand in honor, where we revere God. What a wild thing that David includes us, human beings, with honor and reverence. We, human beings, I mean, like, it's kind of like old hat at this point, but we have to understand in the ancient world, it was a totally unique thing in the Judeo-Christian um, worldview that human beings, women and men, were made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. The same awe that you have of God is actually placed on you and me. Isn't that incredible? And we have this weird tapes in our head. And we go, I can't think that about myself. And what about, and what about? But if we could actually just own, what an incredible gift that is to go, oh my goodness, you are yarar, yarar. Okay, still don't even know how to pronounce it right, but you are fearful and wonderfully made to be revered, to be honored. Human beings, you, me, the person next to you, but the person behind you, here's where it gets sketchy, right? person you don't like, the person who's hurt you, right? All the people that we other, right? It is such a unique and Christian worldview to say, oh my goodness, all human beings are made in the image of God and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we're fearfully and wonderfully made, then we're like, okay, God, well, how did you make me? And there's a couple things I want to say about this is one is that Christians have uniquely understood that human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Christians, since the beginning of the Christian movement, until now, and unfortunately, it's not our reputation, but it should be, is that Christians advocate and stand up for and do everything in their power to care for the marginalized and oppressed, for the human being, right? From the time that they're before they're born to when they're born, to those who've been abandoned, to those who have been marginalized, to the disabled, to the incarcerated, to the infirmed, to the dying, right? Human beings at their best have said, oh my goodness, all of humans, not just the beautiful people, all of human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made and we're going to advocate for them. Now, I wish we lived in a time and a culture uh, where the church had all this power. It turned out it didn't work so much in history, right? But it wouldn't be nice if we could make certain laws happen and certain policies happen, or would it be so great if we could leverage our power and make you do something or you do something? And we live in a moment where thankfully, right, those abuses don't happen anymore. So the church doesn't have actually the power individually to do that kind of stuff anymore. However, we do have resources and abilities. And we've said, you know what? While we can't do this and we can't do that, what we can do is we can leverage our communal resources, our communal desire. And we're saying, you know what? We are going to make sure our church stands with kids. We're going to stand with foster kids. That's just, like, there's a million things we could have picked. But for whatever reason, God uniquely crafted our church in this moment, this time, say, we're going to stand with foster kids. And that, that, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Those families are standing in this gap, and those families are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we have 6% of all the families. How cool is that? And wouldn't it be incredible if our reputation in Marin County was, gosh, those guys believe weird things about this Jesus guy. But man, if you are a foster parent, you want to be connected to Marin, parent, Marin Covenant Church. 
Wouldn't that be an incredible testimony? They're always going to think weird things about Jesus. But if we said, man, this is our thing. These kids, these families are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, one last thing, let's just be honest. I want to just see myself as fearfully and wonderfully made. But if I think about it for one second, I love the psalmist. He even says, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, reveal any offensive way in me. And we have to be honest, we have offensive ways in us. Even the psalmist knew, gosh, there is this flesh nature. There is this sinful nature. There is this rebellious nature. And as Christians, right, we talk about this all the time. It's so incredible. We repent. We turn away from our sinful nature. We move towards Christ. We praise God because of his grace and mercy. He's cleansed us from our sin, from all unrighteousness. We are made righteous in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. Like, praise God. But if we're going to be all that God made us to be, if we're going to own that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we also have to own that we have a shadow side. And it'd be great if we knew Christ and that thing went away. But the more we know Christ, the more that gets revealed. And so we also want to be people who are committed to spiritual formation, to wrestling with our flesh, to wrestling with our sin, to get those things under control so that we would be righteous both publicly and personally. Right? We deal with therapy. We do all that stuff because we do that because at the end of the day, we are fearfully and wonderfully made so that God doesn't just save us and put us on a shelf, but that God actually, in his unique worldview, said, not only am I just going to save you and be, you guys are going to be my special pets, but he says, no, you're my daughters, you're my sons, you're my co-laborers, you're ambassadors, you're fellow priests. Like, you, your job is to carry on the work of the kingdom of God. We are all to be many Jesuses. We are to be Christ-like in the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this sermon and the rest of these couple of weeks, is how in the world do we own our unique gifting, our unique calling, and to be activated for the kingdom of God. So we're going to take a really quick thing. If you have a, a phone or a piece of paper, why don't you take out some notes? Um, because here's just a really simple way. In fact, if you're not even a Christian and you're on the journey, this is just a simple, simple way of beginning to unpack who did God uniquely make me to be? What, did, what do I bring in the table? So here's one part of it. We all have a personality. Now, some of you, it's a little dimmer, but that's okay. You're made in the image of God, right? It's okay. But we all have personality traits, and we live in a time, right? You can take personality tests, and you can figure all sorts of things out. But why don't we have a little, uh, let's get our best thoughts. When you think of what are some things that, that define your personality, what are some things that people could write down? Extrovert. Energetic. What? Energetic. Ener energetic, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I listen to my TV too loud. That's a problem. What? Contrarian. Yes, I love that. Empathetic? Yeah. Great. That's my wife for sure. Humorous. Humorous, yeah. Right, we all have these personalities, um, right? You're intuitive. Um, those are something introverted, extroverted. You like people, you like books, you like information, right? There's all, you're a feeler, you're a thinker, right? And so there's all sorts of ways. And we live in a time when all you have to do is go on the internet, do a little Google search, take a test, and you're like, whoa. This is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. And we, if we're going to be all that God made us to be, then we should do some of the work to go, oh my goodness, God, what is the personality that I bring to the table? And to begin to think about that. So that's one of them. The second thing is the proficiencies, right? This is why I'm so mad at Rudy. Rudy, you're 5'8", kid. You're not going to play D1 football. Quit trying. Use all that energy for something else, right? But all of us like we may have things that we want, like I want to be a great speller, but I'm an awful speller. In fact, I found out that the tech team, one of these words is misspelled, and I didn't even know, but they fixed it somehow. I didn't even know. That's incredible, right? But we have certain proficient things, things that we're good at, things that you are uniquely good at. So what are some of the things that you're good at? Let's brainstorm a little. Wow. <laughs> that was, <what? laughs> All right, what? 
I, what? Troubleshooting. Troubleshooting, yeah. Uh, Being a troubleshooter, I love that. What else? Humorous. Humorous. Barnett, you're on fire today. I love that. What else? Organizing. Think, organizing, yep. Organizer. Cooking. Cooking, yep. Hospitality. Pickleball. What else? Pickleball. Pickleball. Oh, boy. Yeah, right? What's so fun is, and there's this great book like Strength Finders, right? And you take this test, you're like, hey, here's 35 tests. There's 35 things that you're good at. And what's so fun is like, hey, relax. You can't be good at all of them. We all want to be good at all of them, but we can't. So go, these are the fewer things that God has uniquely made me to be good at. So that's what I'm going to, I'm going to major in those things. So, right, we have our personality, we have our proficiencies, and then we have our passions, right? What is the things that we're most passionate about, right? I think of like, I love exercise and the outdoors, and I love eating. Um, some people are really passionate about sports, uh, friendships, uh, clean houses, right? Like, we have all these things that we're passionate about. We're like, oh, man, I love student ministry. Oh, my goodness, I love foster care and foster care, right? We have all these things we're passionate about. And so we all have natural passions. And then as Christians, we have this one added thing, guys. What if we were even passionate and saw our passions around Christ and his kingdom and the things, the, the things about God, right? If we include Jesus in that, then all of a sudden— our whole person becomes way more well-rounded. And so here is your calling, right? This is how you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You take the, the center of this Venn diagram, right? So you bring your personality table, you bring your proficiencies to the table, you bring your passions to the table. And if you did this at home, right, you just took all these pieces of paper everywhere, all of a sudden you're going to see certain things that overlap. And what's such a heartbreaker is when people live outside the center of that Venn diagram and they're just beating their head against the wall all the time. And so we want to find ways to live in the center of that Venn diagram. And even more so, we want to then go, how do we use the center of that Venn diagram? Because that's the way that God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. How then do you take that and activate it for the kingdom of God? And the way that that's done is, um, is that your call is actually taking your unique gifts, but then recognizing that they belong in a very unique place. You see, our calling is not this academic um, adventure where we just take all these tests and we go, this is who I am. But you're a real life human people, person in a real life place, right? We're at Marin Covenant Church in San Rafael, California today. This is the place that we're supposed to live out our calling. And when I think about this, I'm so inspired by the story of Esther. And if, uh, if you know the story, I mean, it is mind-boggling. Because I think in Marin, we go, gosh, it's too hard to be Christians in Marin. It's so hard. It's such a hard place to raise kids. It's a hard place to be a Christian. It's just, it's challenging. Everyone's like keeping up with the Joneses. There's all these things that make Marin challenging, for sure. But here's what's incredible. God is actually alive and active and doing something incredible in Marin. Like God is totally alive and active doing something. Marine. And instead of like, what we want to do is we want to be postured to be a part of that. And I love the story of Esther is because this story happens, um, gosh, it was like 478 BC, kind of in that ballpark, right? So here's a little uh, quick uh, snippet, a little history lesson, right? So God's people, the, 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 the tribe of Judah, the Israelites in that time, they get conquered by the Babylonians in like 598 BC. Babylonians come in, they wipe them out, and they bring all these uh, Jewish people into Babylon as exiles. And Jeremiah, in his gracious way, is like, listen, you're going to be here a while, so you need to, like, make homes, make vines, uh, make vineyards, raise families, work for the good of the city. Like, you're going to be here, make this work. And, um, and so for 70 years, they live in exile in, in Babylon. And this whole time, right, the Jewish people are longing to be back home. They just want to be in Jerusalem. That's their home. They want to rebuild the temple. They want the center of worship. But they've been exiled this whole time. 
Well, around like 535 BC or somewhere right in there, the Persian army comes in and wipes out the Babylonians. And King Cyrus says, hey, all you Jewish people, you get to go back home. And so this big old group of Jewish people, they go back to Jerusalem and in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are the whole story of them coming back and rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple and re-implementing the center of their Jewish life. It's incredible. And it's incredible of God's faithfulness in the whole story. Well, what's wild is in this whole time, there are Jewish people scattered all over the Middle East. So all over Iran, Iraq, like all those countries that we now know of, like there's little Jewish communities scattered everywhere. Now the epicenter is Jerusalem. And imagine that's where the center is. That's where the worship is. That's where the prophets are. And you're scattered all the way out. Right? It's like I always think of like the center of Christendom is like Atlanta or like Sacramento. Um, and we're like, and we're stuck in Marin, right? Well, Esther is like stuck in Marin. She's in Susa. She's not even in Babylon. She's like even farther away in this little Jewish community in the capital of the Persian Empire. And so there's this culture that's so far away from God. And yet there's this faithful Jewish community. And there's this old guy, Mordecai, and, and Esther who are part of this community. And Mordecai, I mean, you can read between the lines, but he must have some access because he, he's kind of in the royal court. He has access to people in the court. He's kind of around the epicenter of all these things. And, and so that's where we find the story of Esther. And what's so fun is the way the, the book begins. So King Xerxes throws this wild drunken party. You're like, all right, this guy's already ready. Like, it's just like Marin. He throws this wild drunken party and he says, hey, wife, to, king, to, to his queen. queen uh, and she comes forward and she doesn't come forward. So he says, show off how beautiful you are. And she's like, no. And she doesn't go obey the king. And so he kicks her out. He, ex, you know, he sends her into exile. He says, you're out of here forever, right? And then even better, he then makes his edict. He says, all women will obey their husbands or to the, you know, to the point of death. I'm like, this is my kind of king. You know, he's like crushing it, right? And, uh, and so this is the kind of king he is, right? And so he kicks out his wife. He makes his edict. And then he's like, well, gosh, now I need another wife. Well, Mordecai is in this world and he's in this system. And he's like, oh my goodness, I have this cousin of mine. She's beautiful. And she should, you know, try out for this beauty pageant and, and see what happens. And sure enough, she goes and does their, their little weird version of beauty pageant, which is not appropriate or relevant for the church today. But in the ancient world, it made sense to them, I guess. And, um, but anyway, so she, she wins over King Xerxes. And he's enamored with her. And he, at first, he puts her among the many wives. He divides the wives and concubines. But then she becomes the head wife, the queen, and crowns her queen. And so here's these, this, these little Jewish people in, in Susa, so far away from Jerusalem, just living their life, doing their thing. And uh, what's crazy is there's all this weird politics. It's this, it's this very long story. But the bottom line is, is there's a coup where uh, Haman, who's Mordecai's enemy, comes up with a plan to kill all the Jewish people, not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill every Jewish person in the whole empire. And what's crazy is there's... The Jewish people are in mortal danger. There's this edict that's about to go down where Jewish people are going to be wiped out for the whole kingdom. And I imagine all the people in uh, Jerusalem were like, this is great. We're building the temple. We're having a great time. We're back. Can you believe this? Praise God. Praise God. They have no idea that this other thing is happening so far away. And Mordecai and Esther come up with this plan. And it's this incredible, complex plan. And it just reveals Esther's deep character. Like that whole, like you find out through this whole story that she's not only beautiful and gracious, but she's also cunning and wise and smart and strong and brave. And, the, and the, the story culminates with her recognizing she's a Jewish person. And she's going to go and stand before the king, who you know already is not a big fan of women. If he talks back to her, he's for, she's for sure going to die. But she recognizes, I'm going to go. If I perish, 
I perish. And so she goes and they hatch this plan. And this is what Mordecai says to Esther right before she's about to go talk to the king. He says this, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. I love this. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. I love this. The way this even begins is Mordecai recognizing, listen, God's kingdom is going to move. God's people are going to be protected. God is actually doing something incredible in Marin. Like it is really happening. And we get invited to be a part of it. And he's like, and if you're not going to do it, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen, right? God's kingdom will happen. And so I love that. Like if Esther's like, I'm not doing it. Or if Esther dies, Mordecai's like, well, it's happening no matter what, but how great if you do it. He goes on to say this, right? And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What an awesome statement. Right? What if we knew in our guts that we woke up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and getting ready for work or school or whatever's in front of us, and we're like, oh my goodness, all of the ways that I've been fearfully and wonderfully made are for this moment, for this time. And what I love about the story of Esther is all the Jewish people um, in Jerusalem had no idea all this was going on. Right? We may be doing things, we may be asked to do things, we may be partnering with God, and we may never see the fruit of how that's going to work in the big, bad kingdom of God. How it, I mean, I wish we would know. I wish we had a front row seat to the whole thing. But what motivates us is that God is going to do something that God wants you to be a part of it. And so if we recognize our unique personality, right, our unique proficiencies, our unique passions, the jumbled up of all of who God made us to be, that tomorrow morning, wherever you are, imagine where are you going to be tomorrow at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? Where are you going to be? Hopefully not still in bed, but somewhere. Wherever that is, like God has made you for this moment, for that time. The call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to go and to be God's person, to be God's hands, God's feet, to that meeting, to that person, to that carpool, to whatever that is, you are God's person. And I'm so excited for the next couple of weeks because we're just going to keep unpacking this and unspooling this. So by the end of this, we are like, oh my goodness, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are going to encourage each other to be all that God has for us. Because we don't want to sit on the sidelines. We want to know that we've been made for such a time as this. Because God is alive and active here in Marin County. And he's called us. He's called us to be his representatives here and now. So here's the last question. Where is the center of your Venn diagram. I'd love for you just to think about in your own quiet time, in your own journal, to just think about, gosh, God, how have you uniquely crafted me? And to begin to explore how he's made you. Begin to explore the hiccups and the challenges and the tapes you have in your head and the challenges of why you're not doing the things that God made you to do. And to give those to God and to do the spiritual formation of exploring who God uniquely made you to be. And wouldn't that be incredible if your prayer life and my prayer life was like David's? And we could have this intimate encounter with God and we could see God's affection towards us and we would feel empowered by him to be his partner. It's gonna be a fun season and how fun for our church to be in this time and in this place. Let me pray for us and then we'll wrap up our morning. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, what a gift it is to be together. What a gift it is to be reminded of your truth in scripture. What a gift 
to know that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Gosh, what a gift. And I pray that not only we'd see ourselves as bearers of your image, but we would see people next to us, people in our family, people at work, people at school, the people who are challenging us and driving us crazy, that we would see them as image bearers of you, God. I pray, God, that we would more and more stand up and care for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the people who just get crushed by society, that we would be the ones that would affirm their dignity and their value and their worth. I pray we would do the work to wrestle down our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion. I'm so thankful that you made a way for us to be forgiven and to be made whole through your son, Jesus. So continue to make us whole and ultimately that you would activate us, that you would use us, that you would put us on the field so that we can be your hands and your feet, partnering with you, expanding your kingdom right here in Marin County and that everything we do in word and deed would be for the glory of your son, Jesus. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen.